Lucrative Super has been a proud partner of the PFA since 2009 and offers PFA members the opportunity for one-on-one consultation and advice on your super at no additional cost. With Lucrative Super, you're a part of an industry super fund that's been providing solid, long-term returns and excellent service for the past 40 years. We care about giving back to our community. Lucrative Super, working for a better future. Uh, it's always nice to speak to a Matilda, but this Matilda, a veteran, she'll probably hate me saying that, but Elise Callan Knight, welcome to the Footballer's Voice. Are you okay with veteran? Is that all right? I don't know how I feel about that. And I feel like I've been called a veteran <laughs> for a number of years now. It's like, when do you become one? I'm not sure when I was 27, I was really a veteran, but people were calling me one. So no, um, in the, the name stuck. But in the system for a long time as well. You've got to remember, I think once you get over maybe 70 to 80 caps, I think you enter veteran territory. So that's the way that I look at it. We've got a lot of veterans in the Matildas then. Yes. No, absolutely. Absolutely you do. But you've still got a few good years in front of you, of course. So we'll dive into it. The first place to start, um, and we'll get this out of the way quickly, but it is very exciting to see that you've made a return after an ACL tear, which is obviously a doomsday scenario for any athlete. Um, but you must be absolutely chuffed um, that you've been able to come out the other end and, you know, fingers crossed, as I said before, hopefully you've got another three, four, five great years of football in front of you. So can you speak to that recovery process and where you are, I guess, where you're at mentally now? Yeah, I'm 10 months post-operation and back in team training. It's been a really difficult rehab. Um, I didn't think it would be like this. Like I had to go through um, a fair bit in the last three months in terms of changing clubs, getting over a reasonably hard calf injury. I think it was an eight-week injury in total. Um, So I had a few setbacks in there and it was kind of like the carrot was dangling at about six months and things were going really well. And I was like, yes, going to be in team training soon. It's going to happen soon. It's going to happen soon. And that just kept getting pushed out further and further and further. Um, But thankfully um, I'm back in team training and feeling good and things are looking good. So um, we're taking it slow. We're not going to push it because the goal is to be back and playing for a number of years still and not just to get back as soon as possible. So we'll see how the next few months go. Beautiful work. Let's talk about Sweden uh, as a country and I guess we're talking about Sweden in in terms of COVID and those circumstances as well. Um, I mean, the whole globe can't really get away from the fact that it has affected our lives in many ways. So what was the experience like for you um, having to live through that COVID period in a foreign country away from, I guess, family and friends uh, back here in Australia? Uh, I was really fortunate. Sweden's had the alternative approach and not really had so many restrictions. So um, definitely no lockdowns. We did temper back a little bit and restrict gatherings. And I mean, we've had no spectators at games, but they're all really mild adjustments. Um, So in a way, I feel like I've escaped COVID. I mean, touch wood, I still haven't had COVID. A lot of people over here have. Um, My current team have all had it. So... (laughs) poor souls that just wiped them out. Um, But it's, yeah, it's been a different approach and I feel fortunate to be in a country where we haven't been um, overly affected with the lockdowns, but at the same time I have been massively affected and I haven't been able to go home. So I had to um, recuperate from my injury um, alone over in Europe and that's been really difficult. 
And what about the lifestyle and the culture? What are some of the things that you really enjoy about the country? Yeah, Sweden's my home away from home. I think in a way they're quite similar to Australians in that they get um, the people aspect of life. So they're really big on well-being and happiness and those small things. I mean, the best example is through FICA. So they really believe in taking time in a day to sit down, to chill out and have a coffee and something sweet to eat and talk to someone. So I think that just sums up how they are as people and um, you get that in our team culture as well. Like our coach is fantastic in that he understands players are people. Um, and I get that in my the club coach at Hammerby and then also in Tony Gustafsson um, as, our, as our national team coach. He's Swedish. He really understands that um, people aspect, which is so important in within teams. Now you've played in a few countries, so some off the top of my head, Denmark, Japan, of course, the US as well. Um, are you trying to say that Sweden is maybe top of the pops of all those countries? Because I must admit, big fan of uh, Japan personally, uh, Denmark, a great country. Uh, the US, I might stray away from my opinions on the US, although I love, <laughs> the, I love the league. I think the league is absolutely fantastic and they've set a great benchmark for women's football, of course, but... You've played in some amazing countries. Um, so where does Sweden rank? And can you talk to us about a few of the other experiences as well? Yeah, in terms of feeling at home and comfortable, Sweden's it. I just, I love living here and that's why I've come back. I think I feel happy here. Um, I found it really, all the other experiences, I, I spent the most time in Germany and, and that was probably the biggest challenge because that culture is a world away from what we do in Australia. Yeah. Um, so that was really difficult. But in terms of where you're happy and where you feel comfortable and where you can perform, Sweden's it for me. Other countries that I've played in, I certainly don't ever regret traveling and living there, but they've given me eye-opening experiences. And the biggest was obviously Japan. It was like landing on another planet, to be honest, like trying to adapt to a completely different culture um, and at the same time, no one could speak English. Luckily, I went with my best friend, Tamika. So we had the two of us to feed off each other and kind of survive over there. But we were there for a short time, which was quite smart of us, because if you were there for a long time, I think it would be very challenging without um, being able to speak Japanese and, and fully immerse yourself um, in the culture, because when you don't understand, it's so hard. Um, the biggest battle is the language. Um, and then other countries have been good, but I've never really felt like it's me. For instance, I spent a long time in Germany, three years, um, learnt the language, really tried to adapt and be comfortable there. But the culture is just so different to Australia. It's <laughs> it's on the other side of the planet. It's not on another planet. It's on the other side. Um, and then in terms of America, I mean, I just don't belong there. I don't believe in capitalism and um how Sweden operate as such a socialist country and we all share and we're all happy and we all deserve to have a certain standard. I just, I love that way of living. Yeah, I think we're aligned actually when it comes to uh, Germany. I've, I found Germany a little bit bizarre myself um, and the US, we don't need to go into detail, as I said. <laughs> um, we'll move on from there and we'll talk about your education um, and what you're doing off the field, uh, currently studying a Master's of Business Administration, which has been supported by the PFA. Great work from them. Um, can you just talk to this a little bit and what post-football perhaps looks like for you, given the fact that you're uh, you're doing this course? 
Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to work it out as we speak, to be honest. Um, I'm not really definite on exactly what I want to do, but I think it's starting to come together, especially in the last year. I'm starting to realise kind of where I want to sit after football, and that's definitely more in like governance, leadership type um, work. I mean, when I look at my undergrad, it was pharmaceutical science, so it's very different to what I thought I would be doing in my early 20s. Just a little bit. Um, <laughs> yes, just a little bit. Um, but the more that, like, I've done a lot of volunteer work um, in terms of, like, the PFA Executive Committee. Um, I also sit on the Women's Football Council, which is a subcommittee of the FA board. Um, and through all those roles, I'm just gaining more and more experience and realising that there's a real gap of female leaders. Um, so for me, I would love an opportunity to, to work in that environment. It doesn't need to be football, but I would love to be a female leader in some capacity. Um, we've done a lot of work within football to improve conditions and, and push female to, females to the front. So why do I need to stop when I finish playing? Like I could keep doing that type of works, which, which would, um, I don't know, it's hard to find a passion once you finish playing. And I think that would still have a fire inside me. Yeah, for sure. And you seem like a very passionate football person, but in particular, a passionate football person that wants to improve the women's side of the game. And I've had many conversations in the past two, three years about this. Uh, when I was doing a former podcast, we would go into great detail um, with some of the, the PFA members, but also um, just with a lot of the Matildas, um, some of the ex-Matildas. I know like Bubs, for example, um, is uber passionate about making sure that the conditions um, are improved. Um, there is still a long way to go. I had a great chat to Lydia Williams about this not so long ago. Um, and we just, I guess, need to keep reinforcing um, that, yes, there have been some great strides that have been made forward uh, in the past four to five years, but there's just this huge void in this gap and a long, long way to go. Um, there's a lot of hard work and graft that's been done by some really impressive people. Um, but I think the only way that the women's game will get to the, the place that it wants to be in, say, 10 to 20 years' time for this new generation coming through is by being relentless. You just have to be in this man's world. It's just a reality of where we're at at the moment. Um, so I think having more people like yourself um, involved, um, and I don't want to say veteran again, but having someone <laughs> that's got significant experience like yourself driving that um, and trying to reinforce the work that's been laid and then trying to implement new strategies moving forward. Um, yeah, we need people like yourself, Elise, let's be frank. So I think, you know, whether it's yourself or whether it's a few of your teammates um, that you're currently playing with that'll maybe come out of the system and, and feel the same way that you do about continuing to drive the women's game forward, um, we can't stop. Um, because if you stop, you'll lose all that momentum and all that great work that you've built. So I don't know. Hopefully you you do go into that side of things. Is there anything in particular that you would like to implement or shape up if you could to, to help women's football continue to strive forward? Are there a couple of things you can think of? It's, it's For me, it's more about collective thinking. Like we need to get rid of the stereotypes and the labels. So calling it women's football as a start, it, it just drives me crazy. Okay, Why is let's it? ditch it. Sorry. <laughs> Why, why is it the Women's World Cup and it's True. the World Cup? Like, what's going on there? Just things like this, I think. We need to just start to um, remove from the game and we need to have that more holistic collective thinking. And I think the more that we can get females into these leadership roles, the more rounded the game becomes. So we don't suddenly just silo the women's game. I think 
that is the starting point. And hopefully in the next, um, I don't want to say five to 10 years, I want to say in the next two years, um, we can really make those changes. Yep. No, I like that. I like that indeed. I just want to come back to you to wrap up about uh, the leadership role as a PFA executive. Can you just talk to that in a bit more detail about exactly what that entails for the listeners? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's all to do with the governance of the game. The, the PFA is for the players, which, um, you know, our interests are to improve conditions for players and, and make sure that our players get the most out of their time while they're, they're playing the game. Um, and then, I mean, why not have the players run the PFA, which is basically what happens. So we've got active footballers sitting on the executive committee um, and we're able to make decisions in terms of the governance of the union and, and um, can have opinions and, and help guide the, the leaders of um, the PFA, which is Kate and Bo at the moment. So it's really just about the governance of the PFA and, and having that um, overarching body which is made up of actual current players. Beautiful. And and just on a playing perspective, um, you've come back into the fold again. It's been a long, hard road for you. What are some of your short-term goals in terms of your, your playing perspective, both for your club um, but also for your country? Have you set yourself some little milestones? Yeah, it's a tough one. I mean, when I had the surgery, the goal was to be back for the Olympics. I mean, it's I worked hard throughout those months, um, really determined to, to get back for the Olympics. But as the last few months have not really gone to plan, um, I've had to kind of take that off the table and just be a bit more relaxed about it and um, kind of the let's see how it go approach, which doesn't really fit and seem like it's right with an athlete. But with an ACL injury, you can't push it you just need to listen to your body and see how it how it goes so in terms of short term it's hard to set um but when I'm given the all clear like I just want to be back enjoying football that's that's the clear goal um and that'll be at club level to start with and then once I'm playing at club level I can start to open my eyes to national team commitments but yeah it's just about getting consistent minutes on the pitch over the next um six months of the year and just getting really into my, my flow and rhythm again because it does take you a long time to get your form back after such a serious injury. Um, for me, rhythm is it. Like how are you reading the game? How are you timing things? And that's the hardest part to get back. And it usually takes a player like a good few months to, to find that again. Awesome work. Well, all the best. It's been a pleasure to speak to you on the Footballer's Voice and uh, hopefully we'll see you out there firing again on all cylinders uh, with that beaming smile from the Matildas as well. So thanks a lot for jumping on, Elise. Cheers, guys.